No, so basically I I started running because <laughs> because I wanted to quit smoking. Okay. And so what I would do is every time I would want to smoke, I'd go for a run. Okay. Uh, and then I was running, obviously, this was in 1993 or four. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I was running a lot. <laughs> and um, I entered my first race. Uh, it was a 10K race. Uh, and it was a expo race in Tennessee. It was the Southeastern Championships. And I, I, I came in third in my age class. <laughs> I would never mm-hmm. run a race before. And I was really shocked. I actually didn't know that I'd won until I looked in the paper the next day. Mm-hmm. And this is when it used to be in the paper. And then kind of after that, I got a bug. So I thought, wow, if I train, I could actually, you know, maybe win something. And I'm fast and it feels really good. Yeah. It's, you know, and then I kind of got quite obsessed with it and I was a pretty quick winner and then I started doing I always came in second <laughs> never actually ever came in first oh I, I, I feel you there <laughs> this episode of the smart athlete podcast is brought to you by Solpre. if you're active at all whether you're running or simply out walking for the day you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have and that's chafing Solpre's all new all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. That's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has her PhD in chemistry. Currently, She's a visiting lecturer at the Department of Chemistry of the School of Life Sciences at the University of Sussex. She was a fellow at Oxford for eight years, seven, eight years. I'll maybe clarify that here in a minute. Um, she's a sea swimmer or might also be referred to as open water swimming, which I do, and she ran when she was younger. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sylvia McLean. Hello. <laughs> it's always, uh, it, you know, for people that don't do podcasts very often, sometimes you get the big intro, which we were talking about before we got going that I like to do, but then it's like, you start getting your life right out in front of you and you're like, well, okay, I guess that is me. Like, uh, here I am. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I, I want to ask you this kind of as, as we get started here, I've noticed and I find, or my assistant finds a lot of my guests on Twitter, there seems like there's a very, active science community on Twitter that, you know, yeah. you know, kind of uh, stop publishing research on Twitter, but just like sharing the research, you know, sharing other people's research, things that are relevant, all that kind of stuff. Um, do you have any thoughts on why Twitter is the medium that, that has kind of allowed academics to share so much of what they're doing? Yeah, I don't, I think because, um, well, I don't know. I mean, there's a pretty good, I wouldn't say that most academics are on Twitter though. Well, I would right, say that most right. of them are not on Twitter um, because I think only like 20% even of the U.S. population is on Twitter. But I mean, I think one of the things that's kind of nice about it is that you can actually interact with people that you would normally do. I mean, this yeah. is good, the good part of social media. And so if you're trying to I don't, I mean, I've met a lot of friends on Twitter. I've had a lot of opportunities on Twitter. Like I used to write for a, a newspaper in Britain. And, and I think that was all down to the fact that I used to talk about stuff and blog and interact mm-hmm. with a 
community of academics, but I, I think maybe it's because of an audience, you know, it allows you right. also to commiserate with people that are doing the same thing you do across the world. Mm-hmm. So that's why, I th- that's why I think, and also, you know, <laughs> we're not exactly people that aren't egotistical. Right. So, right. you know, it's like, here's my research. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's part of it as well. I feel like that, I feel like that reminds me that I, I can't remember who at the moment, but I know I've had several guests, um, academic guests who have been on Twitter and they've said, I said, uh, oh, hey, you know, I, I interviewed such and such. And it's kind of related to the research they're doing. And like, oh, yeah, I know them because we've interacted on Twitter and we've shared this. Or like some people have even ended up um, working together. They, you know, like early episodes of the show, uh, thinking about Dr. Matt Lay and Dr. Greg Rosicki they both work on uh, gut microbiomes in ultra runners in okay. different parts of the U S but somehow I think, I think through Twitter, I could be wrong. Sorry guys. If I'm remembering that wrong, um, they got connected and they kind of like share notes and like, Hey, what are you doing? And like, <laughs> it's, it's, so it's yeah, interesting that, that it kind of connects too. those like what, what would otherwise probably be very niche subjects somehow yeah. it makes those connections for those people. Yeah, but it's the same if you go to conferences and stuff as well sometimes, I think. I think the beauty of Twitter, though, is that sometimes it's not, you know, you go to these massive conferences and there's, like, the person often, you know, you might never run into them because there's mm-hmm. tons of people there. But I think it's just any time you can get people in the same room, whether that's a virtual room or a mm-hmm. chatty room or whatever, or the bar after a conference, right? It's a way for people to kind of connect. But that's quite cool that they met like that, I think. Um, yeah. Twitter's kind of funny, you know, because <laughs> like it's got its upsides and downsides, but I think it actually is good for the good side of it is meeting other people, right? Like you're just talking about. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I, I don't, I've never been active on Twitter in part because I feel so socially inept on social media period. Um, yeah. Aside from like a format like this, where it's like, is it really social media? I don't, I don't know that I would no, consider not really. social media. I would think not. It's more like, hey, we're having a conversation, which I could do that. Um, yeah. But I always feel, I don't know what I, superficial isn't quite the right word, but it, it may be disingenuous. Even if I'm posting yeah. something that's, that's very genuine, like it just doesn't, because I'm typing into a computer, I'm not actually like talking to you about it. I just, it, something disconnects in my brain. Yeah, and I think that's why it's easy for people to fight with each other on Twitter, right? Because yeah. it's not you don't you don't see this person as a person. You're just thinking, you know, I'm angry at this statement, you know. Right, there's this idea so. floating around and I don't like it. Exactly. And so I hate you. <laughs> so I think I mean I think so it's an easy thing to kind of fall into, but yeah, I mean I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. I I like it and then, you know, I don't know. I don't tweet as much as I used to, I think, <laughs> you know, I yeah. just look at it sometimes and just close it back down and think, nope, not today. So. Yeah. Well, so before we got going, you had mentioned uh, you grew up in the U S and that's something I missed in my brief, but it makes a lot more sense now because I saw recently you're, you know, uh, tweeting a lot about like the, the process of the election and those kind of things. And I have uh, international friends who are interested in U.S. politics and what's going on, especially the, my Canadian friends. Um, but I was going to ask you, I was like, why, well, why, like, why, you know, tweeting so much about <laughs> all of that stuff recently? But that makes a little bit more sense. 
<laughs> yeah, I have a vested interest, right? <laughs> so I also have, I also think this is a particularly weird time for politics in our country because it's, yeah. we're all so divided, which is starting to worry me a bit, but you know. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be all right. Hopefully we'll all come back together because that's the good thing about us. The good thing about not living in America is you realize, America, you li- realize all the great things about it. There's bad things about it too, obviously, but yeah. uh, there's some really good things about it as well. And one of the things is we're always, we have been over time pretty good about healing, but we'll see if that continues. Anyway, I don't want to be political. That's probably yeah, not Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Right. Well, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's obviously a thing that's going on right now, but it's like, yeah, how deeply do you dive into it? And yeah, I, I have, uh, one time with my coach back in oh gosh what episode was that second time he was on but he's a cpa and we were talking about like the stimulus bill and that kind of stuff when that was going on it was re- it was relevant to what he does yeah um so so now i have to ask because you know i had missed out how do you how did you get from being in the U.S., you you know, you mentioned you were here in Kansas City, maybe in the early 80s, uh, just visiting. And, and then now, you know, you're in the U.K. Where's the transition? Was it was it going to school, a degree that you had gone over? Yeah, so, well, no, it was my first job after my Ph.D. So okay. I got a Ph.D. at the University of Tennessee uh, in 2004. And then I got a job in um, a facility in the uk called isis uh not related to the caliphate <laughs> right. um but it's it's just called isis and it's a, a neutron facility so um i got a job doing research over there by a grant from the national science foundation to do research on um actually the building blocks of proteins amino acids so uh i moved over here in 2004 and i went back to the states and worked for DOE, the Department of Energy, mm-hmm. um, for about a year and a half, and then I kind of immigrated here in 2008. So okay. I came over for work, basically, and okay. now I came back over and got married. So uh, and then for work, marriage, all that. So I've lived here now for uh, well, 12 years. Okay. 15 years and all. Combined. Yes. Yeah. Right. I think. I don't know. It's something like that. <laughs> it all, it all See, that's great. I'm a scientist. I can't even do like simple math in my head. Yeah. So. Well, that's perfectly fine. That's less, that's something I run into sometimes because one of my undergrad degrees is in math. And yeah. so then family's always like, come on, math major. Like do I'm like, look, we stopped talking about numbers after year two. Okay. We just, yeah. the numbers go out the window. It's no longer about them anymore. So don't, don't ask me to do arithmetic for you. Right, yeah, this is not... like life math. Life <laughs> right. math's not the same. It's no. like, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks, whatever. <laughs> Let me figure out a complicated logical system. I can do that. But if you want me to add five plus seven, uh, you're on your own. Get a calculator. Yeah, exactly. I still use my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering, it seems like a lot of the research, at least, you know, research you've done recently, I could find uh, centered around various types of sugars. Am I accurate in saying yeah, that? Yeah, so uh, that's part of it. I did. We did research on drugs and also on proteins and sugars. Yeah, okay. and I did that with actually some in collaboration. It's less. Um, I mean, I was a participant. In that. It's a, a collaboration with some people in Italy, in Rome. Okay. So. So yeah. Uh, 
I guess, can you give me a, a briefing on uh, what you were working on, I guess, your time at, time at Oxford and, and kind of what was yeah, going so, on at that time? So what, as you know, because you exercise a lot, um, water is really important to life, uh, right. but nobody actually really understands the fundamental role of water. So like, if you don't have water, you're pretty much like, if you have no water, uh, you will die within a week. You can't really go more than a week without drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we tried to look at is um, how water interacts with different biological molecules to function in your body. Okay. So we looked at things like how proteins, you know, proteins are read off the DNA, right? And they have to fold up into a certain form in order to work. And we looked at sort of water's role in that. And we also looked in water's role in how drugs cross into your brain. So things like cocaine and uh, Xanax and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we also looked at how the role that water had with sugars and how that affected our taste perception. So okay. I think maybe I latched onto the sugar because that was the most easily comprehensible thing coming from yeah, I know. Uh, you know, like <laughs> a no, like a coming up, coming in from nowhere and just being like, okay, I need to digest this information. Yeah, exactly. So, so that makes a little more sense when you're trying to figure out the role. I basically I, correct me, please. The the role of water in how it interacts with life, right? Yeah. Yeah, basically, that's a good way to put it. But on a really small scale, so, right. so we look at this sort of molecular scale, yeah. So it seemed like, at least from um, the sugar research that I kind of looked through, you found, uh, I, don't, I don't want to necessarily say statistically significant, I don't know if it was that kind of research, but just some notable interactions, right? Yeah, so one of the things that we found is that you can look at like like uh, glucose and for instance, or sucrose, which you can taste. So trailose is another sugar that you can't taste. So when you eat, you know, you obviously when you eat sugar, you can taste that it's sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and you have proteins in your body, your tongue, that, that identify different tastes, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look at sugar, sugars are really weird because they basically have very, very small differences in their molecular structure. Like you, you would look at them, you have to really stare at them when you draw out the little molecule pictures to see that they're actually even different. Mm -hmm. So they look that similar. And we found that you can actually use the way that water clusters around them uh, in solution to figure out how they might actually interact in your body. And so why maybe they're sweet. So that, that was kind of cool, we thought. Anyway. Yeah. Right. No, so, well, so it's actually the water that's the key to understanding why things are sweet rather than the structure itself, I guess. Okay. So it, that's what I was kind of gleaning from it was like, it's the, what was it? It said H bonds, but I assume hydrogen bonds that's being yeah. formed between the water and, and the sugar molecule. Um, yeah. So that's like the, as I think I understood it, that's the leading indicator to say, this is the degree of sweetness, like how many hydrogen bonds yeah. form. Yeah, and how long they are and things like that, like how maybe easy they are to break, etc. Okay. So this is a good thing if you're ever trying to pass a, a chemistry test and they ask you a question about water. If you <laughs> see hydrogen bonds, you're usually right. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> so if you have to guess, hydrogen bonds. Yeah, for, for as, um, as good as I am with equations, chemistry was the, th the thing that always screwed with me in, in college for whatever reason. Yeah. Like I did perfectly fine in the lab. I could take it and yeah. apply it, but 
but I could, like I couldn't sit down with a, a written test. I would like do terribly at the written test. Exact same content. Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of common though, because I think like you get more excited about it when you actually do it. I think <laughs> maybe. You know? so, I mean, it reminds me of when I used to be a graduate student and I used to, you know, do the. I was a, a teaching assistant in labs, and all the kids are like, couldn't believe I worked in a lab all day long. They're like, isn't mm. that boring? It's like I'm not just doing the kind of like same experiment you're doing in general chemistry over and over. It's a little more interesting than that. So yeah. So if, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fixated on the sugar because that was the thing I understood. Um, is there a, I, I like to push academics for this answer, but I know that it's not perfect. Is there any larger implications or like indicators that now that we know this, maybe we can think like that it can affect how we think about sugar or how we think about food or. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause you could think about, you know, cause there's all, there's whole industries that are designed around, well, you know, like all the sort of diet industries that are designed around making chemicals that taste sweet, but that right. don't make you, you know, don't have extra calories. So if right. you can think about a way to like look at a molecular structure or look at the hydration or water pattern and how water kind of interacts with this, new sweetener you're making and you know that actually can help you think well i can design this chemical even though i know people well i don't know you know you have to design this chemical that tastes sweet you know but what i was thinking is that you know i know people are like people have this whole thing about oh i don't want to take in chemicals because i'm healthy but we eat chemicals all the time right? right i mean there's no you know some chemicals are harmful some chemicals are not right Right. Safe. Yeah, well, I, I deal with that too. Since it, so, like, the brand attached to this podcast uh, makes skincare products for athletes, and so it's often plant based, and people like seeing yeah. like the plant ingredients. But then you you also have to include the nomenclature that actually denotes what that plant specifically is. Like instead oh, wow. of saying okay. instead of saying like tea tree oil, you have to like there's various varieties of tea tree you have to like denote that so the the idea about like it comes up with food more often but it also kind of comes in skincare is like if you can't pronounce it like don't eat it it's like well that partially has to do with your education level doesn't it like whether yeah, you can pronounce yeah. it or not but I, yeah. I always feel like like talk to a chemist and you'll get a better understanding of whether chemicals <laughs> are bad or good yeah yeah and i mean i think a lot of that's pharmacological right i mean because like you know well i used to do research on it i mean cocaine is a perfectly decent chemical right i mean in some ways it's a great chemical because people still use it in local anesthesia and things like that you mm -hmm. know it's a very it's an amazing drug because it, it has a lot of pharmacy that you can still do with it, right? But right. of course, you know, people also abuse it and yeah. it's caused all sorts of socioeconomic problems as well, right? But you can't, you know, I don't know, everything's got its flip side to it, doesn't it? Right. Well, it's the, it's the context, right? It's like the, is is the, the, in that context, is the drug itself good or bad? It's like, well, it's neither, it just is. Yeah. And then it's our interaction with it that kind of frames the sense of, you know, evil or like, you know, the, I think generally speaking, if you say cocaine to average Joe on the street, they're going to be like, 
like <laughs> get me away from it like I don't want it or well depending on which or like that was good just I said that and I was like well depends on who you grab yeah exactly so it's, it's polarizing right but yeah it, but that's without the context of like I'm abusing it or I'm using using it for yeah. a more proper like medical application same thing with with uh opioids you know they're used yeah, for true. medical applications and people abuse them so yeah um so you had mentioned uh and as i kind of mentioned at the, at the beginning of the show you kind of made a career change roughly a year ago i uh, did so i mean people you know i know and you probably know this having being from the u.s people speak pretty highly of oxford or they have ideas about you know this institution um so as somebody who's doesn't work in academia and, and uh hasn't been to oxford uh though i have friends who studied there um it, it seems like well, this is the ideal place to be so why would you leave yeah i know people that is true people do think that um i i i, I left a lot for personal reasons but also because um uh, I think I, it was just sort of that time. I've actually changed jobs a lot in my career as well, right? right? So I didn't even start my PhD start until I was 32 years old, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I got it when I was 36. So for me, you know, it was, so, and also because for personal reasons, my husband was at Sussex and I was at Oxford and we were living apart for several years. It just got a bit ridiculous. And also because I, I worked mostly as a fellow on soft money and uh, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a hard job right so you always have to raise your own salary i mean consistently um and you know i just it just gets a bit wearing i mean i actually always liked raising my own money i was i was pretty good at raising my own money so it's just sort of i decided that it was time for me to do something different but i'm not really quite sure uh, how that's going yet so maybe you can check back with me soon but yeah i mean it's a good university i bet all that you know i think there's many good universities Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, it's not, yeah. I think it, it's, it's definitely got a lot of really good people, but like anywhere it doesn't, not everybody there's amazing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the best inner, you know, some of the best classes I ever had were at the university of Tennessee, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a pretty vague answer, isn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> I don't really know. There's nothing definitive really to say. Well, I mean, a vague answer for a vague question. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm just my job as the interviewer is just to like probe you and see what what answers fall out fall out pretty much. So I yeah, get the, I not, get the easy job, right? Yeah, it's also just not really a, good, a very interesting story. So <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so, but you did say so you're raising your own money, and that's that's something that comes up when I talk to academics is like the the difficulty of getting grants in general to do their research. So you were, you were writing grant proposals and doing that stuff every year or, or how, how did that work? Yeah. So I basically have had many fellowships. I've had, I had four fellowships, so I never actually did a normal kind of postdoc job. My first job was my own. I've always written for my own. I've always written and funded my own research. So I did that for 15 years. Um, And 
I mean, which is great because you get to do, I mean, the good part about it is you get to do what you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. If you get the money. So I, I was writing quite often, but you also have to write papers. And at Oxford, I had a research group of about, I think, 10, you know, get undergraduates, graduates, uh, PhD students, postdocs. And, and, you know, you have to keep the money for them. You have to keep the research going. And it's a lot of, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a lot. Um, and I didn't have a permanent job, right? So if, you, if you've got a permanent academic position, you've got a different kind of platform, whereas I had to keep raising my salary and everybody else's salary. And it just got a bit stressful. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you spend a lot of time writing. Yeah. A lot of time writing, which I didn't mind, actually. Like, I didn't mind writing grants at all. I actually kind of liked it. I think I'm kind of weird, but... You know, it's fine if you're getting funded every now and again. <laughs> I think it gets a bit right. stressful if you're not. Yeah. Well, it seems like it seems like that would detract from the time you could take to actually complete your research. You know, if you're always worried about making sure you have funding for the research. Yeah, not if you've got people working for you, though, right? Okay. Because then you've got, you know, so, the, so then it can be a bit easier. And I, yeah, I know a lot of people complain about that. And I do think that there's... Uh, a problem with it right I do think that but I also don't think you should just continue to give people millions of dollars every year without any kind of oversight right, right. so I don't really know where the balance of how to do it is I mean what happens though a lot of times is it's quite short term so mm -hmm. you know you might have a big research question and it's really hard to get money that lasts more than five years which I mean this is a big problem I think anyway with climate change is climate change is a massive problem right so you have to put a lot of money into it over a lot of years in order for you to get a result right so that's one of the difficulties of it but it mm -hmm. depends on the questions that you're asking Right. Yeah, that's Again, fair. I'm being really vague. I'm not being vague. No, no, no. That's that's fair. Because if it's like, if if you're just like, like in your case, like you're you're looking at, uh, you know, the hydrogen bond between the, the interaction of water and certain sugars, like that's going to be a much shorter term question and more easily answered definitively than, you know, what are the longitudinal effects of carbon emissions on our climate like you need yeah. a lot more data you sim you can't hurry it up you you have yeah. to wait <laughs> it, you know yeah. so that's i mean that makes perfect sense where you're trying to figure out i'll say a big question or a yeah. long question versus something that you can set up much easier yeah for sure so. yeah but it does get a bit stressful so you know i think i think uh, at some level you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we're going to fix it this hour. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe something not. will come to us. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but, I mean, you're one thing that I, I talk to um, various athletes, we talk about sometimes, is that, like, their kind of athletic background helps lend them to have the ability to deal with the stress of that kind of situation because they're you know trained to do it they've done it in another environment in terms of athletics mm -hmm. and then do it you know in your case academically or or with other people career-wise um before we got going and you had mentioned uh you're you know more into running when you were younger did triathlons kind of had the bug and yeah. road cycling all that kind of stuff um and that's stressful in its own right so really well, I mean, it can be if you're really, if you're yeah, really spending true. the time doing it. 
That's true. That is true. So, so how did that, I, you know, so what, what's the progression here? Is that how you end up, uh, you know, kind of identifying now as a sea swimmer or an open water swimmer is like doing uh, running triathlon, road cycling, and then that's your like last single discipline or. No. So basically I, I started running because, <laughs> because I wanted to quit smoking. Okay. And so what I would do is every time I would want to smoke, I'd go for a run. Okay. Uh, and then I was running, obviously this was in 1993 or four. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I was running a lot <laughs> and um, I entered my first race. Uh, it was a 10 K race. Uh, and it was a expo race in Tennessee. It was the Southeastern championships. And I, I, I came in third in my age class. I would never mm-hmm. run a race before. And I was really shocked. I actually didn't know that I'd won until I looked in the paper the next day. Mm-hmm. And this is when it used to be in the paper. And then kind of after that, I got a bug. So I thought, wow, if I train, I could actually, you know, maybe win something and I'm fast and it feels really good. Yeah. It's, you know, and then I kind of got, quite obsessed with it and I was a pretty quick runner and then I started doing I always came in second <laughs> I never actually ever came in first oh I, I, I like, feel you there <laughs> it's like well in my age group you know and it's like I can't ever win <laughs> you know I always yeah. just come in second and then I started doing triathlons and then after that I did cycle racing and I had a so I was pretty obsessed with with it I think yeah. So it did, it did get a bit, it turned into a bit of a job actually. Definitely can. Yeah. Which sure. I don't think so like now. Um, so then I sort of stopped all that. I mountain biked for a bit before I went back to university, you know, when I, before I went back to get my PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I got quite burnt out to be honest. Um, when I was doing triathlons, because you just train all the time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I felt like it was ridiculous. And yeah. I know, so um, for me, it was kind of good to start, but it was very strange. I mean, still today, you know, I can, even when I'm pretty out of shape, I can go run for an hour because, you know, I think my body's just like, oh, okay, here we go again. But then I think more like going back to you know you know once I started working and stuff I've always run a bit and for me like as I it's better to not be competitive anymore if you see what I, I don't know how to say that it's a lot nice I had a really hard time when I started running again I thought okay I'm gonna start running again just about five years ago I mean like seriously not just sort of like I'm gonna jog around the block mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm so slow compared to what I used to be and that happens when you get older but it's like so slow yeah and and I found it really actually pretty upsetting <laughs> which really surprised me um because you can't expect to be fast if you don't train but at the same time you know right. I didn't you know and I just didn't really want to put the work in. So I, I was always, swimming was always my worst thing in triathlons. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a swim class. And I knew I was moving to the sea mm-hmm. in, in front of the seafront. So I thought, well, I'm going to take this swim class that's um, designed actually in Brighton where I live. It's great. It's designed to take people that are um, swimmers. Right? So people that, you know, just want to figure out, like if you swim in a pool and you want to learn how to swim in the ocean, 
And I thought I should take that class. And I was actually quite intimidated because I thought, I oh, know it's going to be full of people like, you know, I was when I was 20 and like sort of triathlon males, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it mm-hmm. actually is, you know, who were like, get out of my way. I'm 50 years old. I'm having a mid-rise crisis. And <laughs> it actually wasn't. It was a really, it was like a huge mix of people. There were some really health, you know, really fit people. And there were some really like overweight people and there was all, there was just all walks of life. And so it was really actually quite a positive environment yeah um really positive and so then now i'm just kind of i swim all the time to see so but not not racing anymore not trying to like enter open water races or anything not yeah i did one. i've done two i mean i did but they're not you know i mean i i don't i try to not do that because i i don't know maybe I mean, I always start in the back on purpose, so then right. I, I don't time myself. It's like now when I run, I don't ever kind of figure out how fast I'm running per mile anymore. I just sort of yeah. turn on my watch, run for tw- you know 25 minutes one way, run for 25 minutes the other way, and try not to think about it. Yeah, yeah. But well, yeah. I think that's the <laughs> that's probably the way to go too. I mean, for regardless of age, like that, if you're just focusing yeah. on like how do I feel on this run, like that's going to yeah. serve you more than like having those expectations of I should be this, I should be that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But I, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't admit it, but I did have a hard time letting that go. Cause it's like, I used oh, to be I, yeah. fast and I used to beat people. And now, you know, I go and run with people and I'm like the old lady, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm dying in the back and it's just not a feeling I'm used to. Yeah. Um, so I found that really tough at first, but you know, it's swimming. I'm not, you know, super fast or anything, but you know, I'm getting faster. (laughs) But with swimming, I find at least open water swimming, it's like you you don't see people like you see them when you're running. Like if somebody's running away from you, you watch them go. Yeah. (laughs) When you're swimming, (laughs) it's a little bit more like you're uh, more than half blindfolded in a sense where, you know, you're sighting every once in a while. But for the most part, at least when I'm out in the water, Faces in the water, I can, I can just basically see black unless it's like a really clear lake or something. But right, okay, because you're swimming in lakes, right? I guess. Yeah, predominantly. I've done I've done one ocean swim. Okay. So. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, the ocean can be a great equalizer there because when it's really rough, you know. So if you go out swimming and it's really really rough, yeah. Um, you know nobody goes fast I mean, you right. just can't go very fast when it's pretty wavy yeah well, you know, the, it's like you're all clustered around each other thinking ah yeah the only one i did so it was in uh santa cruz california and it's a swim so it was a, a half iron man race and the swim is around the pier okay and there's buoys in the water but effectively as long as you can always see the pier like you're fine because it's just around yeah. here. Well, it's good that we had that because it the water was so rough and it was so foggy. From one buoy to the next, you couldn't really see the next buoy. Oh, that's creepy. You have to get like halfway to it before you could see it. It was so thick. Yeah. So just having this massive structure on your right the whole time was like the only way you could try to try to keep track of where am I? Am I still going straight? Am I that sounds like, a bit scary, actually. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an interesting day. Uh, we were, I was the second to last wave. My buddy, who's a couple of years older than me, was in the last wave for the day. Um, okay. And it was a, 
it was an adventure for sure. But yeah, yeah, imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, mostly, it, mostly it's likes for me. So yeah, which I, you know, I mean, the English Channel's funny because it, it's um some days it's fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to deal with current, so mm-hmm. meaning that whether you have a spring tide or a neap tide, mm-hmm. yeah. So going up to the full moon or coming away from the full moon, you get really different currents. So mm-hmm. you can get in, and it's really it can look completely like a lake. You know, it's completely placid and you get in and all of a sudden you're like, okay, why am I like struggling (laughs) to Mm -hmm. even get to this distance, you know? So you can't, you know, it's not like swimming in a pool where you can be like, right, I'm going to go swim, you know, however, you know, two kilometers and that's what I'm going to do, right? It's like, okay, you get there some days and you're like, right, I'm not making it. I'm not making it, however, which I think is actually good for your sort of attitude about things. Because I know with running, it's like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, how you train to run. And you're like, I'm going to do this many miles this fast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'll have this kind of sprint in the middle. I'll do wind sprints or whatever. And so you're going to go out and that's what you're going to do. But I think when you're swimming in the ocean, you just sometimes don't really have that option. You just kind of right. have to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the the ocean is bigger than you are like you can't you're not going to tell it what to do like if it wants to shove you one direction it's going to shove you that direction yeah and sometimes it definitely does not want you in it i mean (laughs) there and you're just like you know the channel's like get out this is a bad idea get out and it'll sort of start rolling you up onto the beach and you're like okay maybe i should get out yeah is it um do you have like currents going multiple directions or can you get in and so like one of uh, the former pros, I had the uh, fortune of kind of working with, she had always talked about like, before you get into race, you know, get in for your swim. And then you want to check and see if there is a current. So you like lie on your back and you find a a landmark. Then you try to stay still and just see if the water yeah. is moving you. But, you know, I, there's on some occasions where it was like, you get a shift somewhere and it kind of screw with your, you know, sense of, you know, so, so if like I'm supposed to be going straight and it's pushing me this way, then I actually need to swim angled to try to go straight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So d- does the English channel, does it have like one current across the whole thing or do you get like eddies and multiple like situations? That yeah. So that's the, well, where we live, fortunately all we have is sort of, we don't really have any kind of riptides or funny eddies. It's okay. pretty much just when the current's going out, uh, when, when the tide's going out, it goes one direction. Okay. Uh, when the tide's coming in, it goes the other. So okay. it just gets stronger or weaker depending on the time of the month it is, gotcha. basically. So there's no kind of like, I'm going to get, you know, it's not like Australia where you can get stuck in some kind of like riptide and be pulled out to sea. It's not like that. Okay. I mean, it can, you know, it can pull you out to sea. It could be quite rough. It can also be quite polluted. <laughs> from, mm-hmm. um, but mostly it's pretty, and we tend to, especially during lockdown. So one of the interesting things is during COVID, the people that run the seafront, you know, like the lifeguards were like, please, please, please don't swim out to sea very mm-hmm. far because we can't rescue you very easily. And if we do, they're going to ban swimming on the seafront. You know, so we could still, even we had like a pretty severe lockdown in the UK and mm-hmm. they still allowed people to swim because obviously, you know, you need to get some exercise one and two. I mean, you know, it's not like you can social distance pretty effectively when you're swimming in the sea. So right. um, 
Yeah, so we swim along the shore most of the time. So you don't have to worry about going around a big pier or whatever. You just kind of swim run direction. So every day you check the current and figure out whether you swim. So normally you swim into the current, right? right. So against the current to begin with and with the current coming back, unless you're stupid like me and mess it up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wow, I'm going really well. I'm going really fast. And then you have to turn around and you're like, oh no, yeah. I've got to swim all the way back home. I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Well, but you just, just keep swimming and you'll, and you'll make it eventually. Hopefully. I guess if you yeah. keep, if you're staying parallel to the shore, then you can always, you can always to, just get out and walk. Yeah. It's like ducking right. at some point. <laughs> but you also have some pride with that. You know, right. I think, that. I think, Oh, I'm going to get out and, you know, I'll get out and walk. And then I think I can't do it, you know? So, and we have piers here as well. So you can swim around the pier. There's all sorts of different places you can swim. So, mm -hmm. and a lot of people I swim with are actually a bunch of, some of them, cause I swim with a master's group or sort of, well, when the pools aren't shut, um, they're planning to do these big, you could swim across. A lot of people still swim across the channel, right? Mm -hmm. So what's, yeah. what's the distance? I forgot. I know I've looked it up at some point, but I think it's like 17 miles at its thinnest, but okay. there's a lot of current problems in right. there as well, you know, and I think now it's a big shipping lane. So if you're going to do it, you got to get a boat to you. It's not cheap. Yeah. So it's not like it could just be like, Oh, I'm just going to go swim. I'm just going to go do it today. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So today's a good day. Why not? But we have a big wind farm out from us, and there's some people I swim with that have swam from the wind farm back in, and that's about 11 kilometers or so. Okay. Or 11 miles, I think. So either way, I mean, for, for most people, either one is going to be, you're going to be swimming for a little while. Yeah. I mean, it takes a good eight hours, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I was I like, I'm for not quite up to that <laughs> i'm trying to think for comparison what do i do in the pool so no no um currents anything like that to deal with i can i'll you know i'll do i don't know 2500 3000 or so 2.5 to 3 kilometers yeah. um an hour but then you start getting pushed around and you slow down considerably yeah. So it's well, you can still swim, you can still swim. I mean, it just it also just depends on the a one, the currents, and two, how turbulent you know, how many <laughs> wavy it is, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. There's some woman last year that swam across it four times consecutively, like yeah. one way back the other, yeah. But it's horrible. She wrote a blog about it, and the whole time, like, this is my you know, the whole time you're like, she kept throwing up all the time and she was sick most of the time and like just the whole her like whole nausea seasickness kind of situation yeah, yeah okay yeah she couldn't eat and the whole time she like wrote this whole article about it and i thought i mean this is where getting older you're like why are you doing this you know if yeah. that happened to me halfway through i'd be like just get in the boat lady <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's not you know at some point I, I mean this is what you know interestingly i think pushing myself i like pushing myself but there is a point where i just think come on this is not rational well i mean it's in that like point, don't they? i'll call it the follies of youth right but i mean that in like an endearing way is like you know, when, not that I'm, I'm old, I'm, I'm only be 32 here soon. So I'm still 31, but it's like, 
you know, I just noticed there are certain things where I just, I don't care anymore. Like I, I don't have as much ambition to do silly things like that. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be like, let's, yeah. let's swim across the English Channel four times. Like, no, I'm good. Like I'm going to go get like a croissant or something. And, and yeah. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> I mean, but, I think it's, I, one of my swim partners is like that. She definitely has to have a challenge. Right. Yeah. She's like, okay, I have to. And she's also really obsessed about like touching. Like if we'll go swim around boys. Yeah. She's really obsessed about having to touch every one of them. And I kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like my days of that are over. Yeah. You know, we used to do that in, in college. We would. Uh, so when the guys and I were out on a run, long run, short run, didn't matter. If you had a turnaround or if you didn't have a turnaround, if you went by, there were certain signs could be a stop sign, yield sign, crossing, whatever. We would just like smash them as we went by and just making loud noises, just hitting signs. Why? I don't know. But it's because you're going for it. long runs. When you go for really long runs, it does make you weird. I, I, <laughs> Maybe. I, I think I'm, I'm like completely convinced of this because when I was doing triathlons a lot and this was like in the 90s when there weren't that many people doing them right mm -hmm. so people thought you were even weirder than they do now because oh, it yeah. seems like oh, like now it's sort of funny because so many people and so many friends of mine have done Ironmans which just seems really hard to me um, yeah because I never did that I only did Olympic distance one and I you know I was really quite fast at running I'm really quite good at it or back in the day not anymore but I always liked sort of events where you didn't have to really eat during them right. <laughs> it felt like if you have to ingest food that is not my event yeah. <laughs> you know? so I was good at about 15 to 18 kilometers and that yeah. was about like my limit because I just don't like having to eat but now like so many people kind of do all that which is amazing I mean it's great it's great for the sport right yeah it's a great thing for people to be fit but you know back in the 90s it was a whole different but it does make you kind of weird right because i don't think you you know you're so depleted of food all the time mm -hmm. also like you know i was really poor at the time and i just ate constantly i do miss that i miss all the eating you know yeah. sort of i'm training and i had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and have to eat because i was so hungry yeah you know i don't have that issue anymore but yeah that's that's kind of there's a there's a whole love hate culture with food and, and endurance training because it's like you've got to eat to fuel but you can't to eat too much you got to eat the right thing and but then there's some people and especially as you're younger like feel like you can just get away with eating whatever like your metabolism so high you're putting in a ton of miles but you can like, I'm just I'm just gonna eat whatever even though it may not be optimal for like tr for training you, you can get away with it at that yeah point. and. But I don't know how much difference that makes it at, um, at, I mean, I know a lot of people like probably you thought to whatever, think it makes a massive difference. So one of the things I really wanted to do when I was There's younger. There's a certain I, point I, where it doesn't matter as much and it's just like calories are calories. Yeah. 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 For sure. And fast calories, you need them. Right. Right. I mean, I had one, I only was in one race in my life. It was this 17 mile trail run. Um, it was the best race of my life. Well, it would have been the best race of my life, except for I completely crashed. I'd never had a crash before. Mm -hmm. And I, I still remember looking at other people and seeing, you know, I was running up a hill. It was like the end of the race and looking at these people and they were walking. And I was like, oh, that looks like a good idea. <laughs> All these people passing me and just not really caring, you know, because your blood sugar drops. So definitely, mm -hmm. you know, you have to eat to kind of keep that up. But 
I mean, I think maybe it's just because I'm old, but I think people get a little too obsessed with the nutrition part and less upset, you know, in a way that I don't think matters as much maybe as people think it does. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. You know, I mean, certainly you can't just eat McDonald's <laughs> all right. the time or whatever, but, right. you know, I mean, I imagine keeping balance and fit. I don't know. See, this is you should probably just make me hang up now. Like, hang up on me because I'm saying stuff I don't know about nutrition. But what well, if you're saying stuff you don't know about? Then you're you're joining my club, which is that's that's basically my job here is to say things that I don't know about and see what you say. So, no, you're probably fine. But we can segue away. Don't worry about it. I, I do want to ask okay. you about um, um, Occam's typewriter. It seems like it's a, a group of scientists. They have yeah. a kind of collective blog, basically. Yeah. So it seems like you haven't contributed in a little while. Um, oh, last, yes. I know. Last Sorry. Post I was reading, <laughs> last post I was reading, you're like restoring your flat. I it's, am. We have a very old house and we're, I'm fixing it up. Yeah. I was reading your, you, <laughs> you'd use the peel away and uh, I, I felt your pain. You're talking about how expensive it is because, so I live at, you know, the houses here are obviously, um, even the old ones are young in comparison to the stuff in the UK. Uh, but so I, I live in a know. house. You get some pretty old houses, like hundreds so of years. My old. house was built in uh, <laughs> 1930. And so, like, you can see behind me this, this now brown door. If you go back to early episodes, it was painted. So I have stripped and refinished all Good the for doors you. upstairs. Um, or actually, if I can. There's one hanging out over there that's not refinished yet. I stripped the paint off of it, but <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. I still need to do the staining part. Um, but it's lead paint to the bottom. In here, particularly in the office, eight layers of paint thick, trying to get yeah. it all off. And my Peel friend had recommended that stuff because it's it's <laughs> like super effective. It's used for restoration, yeah. but it's ridiculously expensive. So it is. I, I didn't end up using it. I ended up getting like a a sanding set up with a with a HEPA filter vacuum and that kind of stuff because I had so much work to do. I still do. How much how expensive is it there? Uh, I I don't know how big the bucket is. The, like that basic bucket, what was it? Somewhere between like forty and fifty dollars, I think, for for one bucket. And I think one bucket was maybe going to cover a door or half a door or something. No, well, if 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 you buy a fifteen kilo bucket, it goes a long way. Okay, it's worth it. Yeah, the bigger ones, I don't know. It was just, it was like the whatever their smallest unit was. That's expensive. Yeah, it that was. Expensive. It seemed pretty pricey. I was just like, there's no way. I was like, I'm going to have several thousand dollars in stripper trying to take all this paint off. Yeah. Well, you can't really see my house. I could show it to you if you want, but it's a, it's a, because these are these, it's a huge house though. If you look at it, these are like, we have these big ornate ceilings. Oh yeah, ceilings. the ceiling's cool. I mean, cause so if, you're this not, window... if you're not on YouTube, you're missing out on the, the, the show right now. If you're just listening to the audio version, you'll have to check, check out the YouTube version. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, YouTube is great. It, uh, my friends are always like, oh, you should do YouTube, but I, you know, video of doing it but you know you have to set up a video and like record yourself and then right. fast forward it i just don't i mean it's gonna be bad enough listening to myself on this thing right i don't really want to do oh, it oh you're but... fine yeah so yeah no uh what were you talking about restoring houses yeah the peel away. my blog yeah i haven't yeah, blogged yeah. for a pretty long time i think part of it's because uh 
now that I've got a new life figuring out what I'm, I do a lot of, I'm doing a lot of freelance work now. So, mm-hmm. and I don't have, and I've also like for most of my things, I don't kind of, I write when I feel like it, when yeah. I have the luxury to do that. I have a very hard time writing when I'm forced to. Right. Cause then it's just really boring. <laughs> you know, so like, it's, I mean, I, it's boring for me. It might not be, I mean, maybe the stuff I write is boring for other people now, but yeah. Yeah, but it's collective of a bunch of people. And then we all used to kind of write for a newspaper here called The Guardian. And then some mm-hmm. people continue to do that. Um, it's mostly about science-based stuff, though, I think. Yeah. Uh, and everybody that's on that site is a scientist. It just seemed interesting. I, I don't know, because obviously you can have like a online news publication or like the online uh, version of the guardian or whatever uh, you know kind of traditional news outlet that has multiple contributors right but yeah i don't know and, and maybe i'm just I, I live in my own bubble which is perfectly possible um but i don't know that i've really seen like a collection of people writing a blog like that that didn't try to like brand as this is science today or like actually trying to make something more official or what, you know what I mean? Like, like, mm. like the guardian or what, like come with a brand name and somebody's in charge of building this business. It's just like people, people are publishing stuff and, and, and semi regularly, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it endeavors to be more than what it is. Like it's not trying to be some big corporate entity. You say that's a good thing. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it just seems, even though the underlying structure of it is similar, the yeah. actual flavor of it is different. And I don't know that I've, I've seen that kind of collection before. Yeah. So I think that's good. I think that was the whole point of it. But there, there's some people, obviously there's some of the people that blog on there that are like a lot more prolific mm-hmm. about writing for newspapers and they're in the news a bit more. So it's a whole range of different people. So some mm-hmm. of the authors on there, I mean, I did a lot more recently, but just sort of, I have, I need to find my mojo to do the next thing yeah. <laughs> in my life. This is what I'm kind of looking for. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that like going back to exercising really helps with, right. Is that, you know, it's a good thing. It's a continual thing that's been in my life since I was, you know, in this kind of way, since I was 20 and open water swimming is the best, I think for all these things, <laughs> you know, it's not like running. I can think when I run and when I swim, I just think stroke, stroke, breathe, stroke, stroke, breathe. Okay. Don't run into the side of the thing. You know, yeah. ooh, there's a tower I'm meant to be spotting. Oh, that person's faster than me. Oh, look, here's all the fast people, you know, 19 year old triathletes passing me <laughs> you know, or whatever. I think it's really quite healing and good for that. But yeah, Occam's, it's a good kind of group of people that we, I mean, actually we all kind of met over Twitter, speaking of Twitter. So, you know, but there's some people on there that probably, yeah, they do like lots of corporate sort of stuff. So Okay. Yeah, I was just, it was just a remark I kind of had about it. It just seemed interesting just because, you know, I, one of my endeavors with this show is to give, you know, people like yourself, academics and other people that actually know what's going on in terms of whatever their field is, um, a way to be personable and present those things, which happens on Twitter, but I just feel like there's not it's a lot not of the same, is happen. it? Right. Right. Because people seem different on Twitter too than they are right. when they actually 
talk to. I remember meeting somebody at one point, and I thought they were just this massively egotistical person. And I mm-hmm. met him. I'm like, you're actually real nice. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I think there's a whole different thing about it, you know. Right. Well, and like the you know, if you read your blog posts, like how you come across in your blog posts is different than this format or on Twitter. Ooh, I mean, is it better? Is it worse? <laughs> uh, more poetic. <laughs> Sorry. What when I write or when I speak? <laughs> the the writing, the writing. It's well, and I do that too. It's like it's. I mean, you've got time to think about it, right? And you yeah. you, you wax philosophical a little bit more. You're uh, poetically self-deprecating, like those kind of things. Where it's like, oh, I'm gonna totally use that now in my Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> poetically self-deprecating. Yes. Thank you. That's my new title. Hey, that's, that's perfectly fine. But I'm just saying, like, it's, you you get, I feel like in that, it's like in this format when we're talking, you get a sense of who you are, right? Because we're just yeah, I think... But with the blog format, I feel like you get a better sense of who you are inside your own head. Yeah, maybe. I try not to talk that much about myself, though, in that way that's like... Right, a, but, but know, how you born. present the situation and, like, all that is, like, yeah. how you look at it, like, because I guess maybe maybe that's just a reflection of me and how I write things. It's like, yeah, there's a lot more turning inside my head that it's hard for me to get out if I'm just having a conversation, in part because... I eventually need to shut up so you can say something, <laughs> but yeah, also it's no. hard to keep it all together. Yeah, for sure. And also I think, I mean, there's something that's lovely about this podcast, but there's something that's very self-indulgent about it, isn't it? Right. Cause I'm right. telling you about, Oh, when I used to run all these things I used to do, you know, right. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, that's the, that's the thing about, you know, one of the things I obviously, and this sounds like I'm, you know, on a car, on a commercial or something, but one of the things that I think is important about athletics and talking about is, is anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. It is not some kind of amazing thing. And I kind of feel that way about science and stuff as well. I know mm-hmm. I just changed the subject on you drastically, no, but fine. I think that's why it's sometimes a bit awkward talking about stuff because I don't think, I mean, I don't know, you know, you got to have a certain amount of ego maybe to get out there and register even for a race. Right. Right. You know, because a lot of people won't even sign up Mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, my God, you know, why am I going to do this? It's kind of whatever. But it's like actually all of these things are something anybody could do. Yeah. It's like riding or whatever. I mean, maybe I won't do it well, but you still do it. You can do it. Right. Well, which is what takes me back to swimming. So my brother, who passed away suddenly about four years ago, and he was an amazing swimmer. I mean, he just swam and swam and swam when we were kids and as an adult and whatever. And it was the thing I was always the worst at. I mean, the worst at, like of all my triathlon things, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've done triathlons. Like you've got one thing you're better at than other. For you, it would be... Running. I, I come from a running background. Yeah. And so running's the great, best thing to be good at in triathlons, right? Because <laughs> you pass everybody in the end. Generally, I, if I was better at cycling, it would be better. But yeah, running is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked that. That was my whole thing. And I mean, I was doing triathlons. You have to remember, not that many people did them. So right. I had a pretty good chance of winning something. Yeah. Um, and uh, also in East Tennessee, when even less people did them, right? So. Right. But like swimming, it would take me, I don't know, whatever it was to get to do a a 1.5 kilometer swim. I was terrible. I was like the last person out of the lake. 
and then I could hold my on the bike and then I'd pass everybody in the room. I always felt like I was, you know, Rocky or something. Yeah. <laughs> in my mind. Yes. Run it up the steps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which is why I was sort of determined to swim because I thought, well, I'm really bad at this. Mm-hmm. And swimming is also one of those things where with even just slight modifications, you get a lot better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so technique based. Um, yeah. So that's why as an adult, I don't know if you've done this, but everybody should take, start, take some swimming lessons as an adult. I've had, I've I mean, had critique. Yeah. It's it makes such a difference, mm-hmm. such a difference, you know, but I still, you know, I still feel like, um, it's quite complicated. So <laughs> I don't know. sometimes, you know, you start, I start overthinking it, especially when it's really wavy. Right. So you have to yeah. really concentrate because in the sea, you know, when you swim in the sea, you don't really kick as much. Like in big waves, you just kind of stabilize yourself and then you don't, you know, you have to kind of swim with your arms really far out, like much further than you do in the pool. Yeah. So it took me a while to get adapted to that. And sometimes I get a bit confused while I'm doing it, which makes me sound really stupid. I know. But you're like, wait, arm, leg, breathe. What am I doing? Yeah. Well, when you're knocked around and you're like trying to figure out where can I breathe and then a wave hits you in the face and you don't get that breath and then you're... there's a trick to that though you always look but you always just when you breathe in when it's really i've gotten so much this is one of the things that i got but i used to get really freaked out when the waves would get really high now i've gotten Mm -hmm. so much better at it just this year um because basically uh you have to breathe back towards your feet so you're always like Mm -hmm. much more kind of extended than you do when you're you didn't really want a tip for me did you no that's fine i'll take i'll take a tip i'll take a tip (laughs) i I don't know what i'm going to be doing my next my next triathlon, it may actually maybe a couple of years at this point, but um, yeah, I just, whenever the few times I would encounter that, I think uh, I would just try to get in the rhythm of the waves, which doesn't actually help a ton. It helps a little bit. It does help. But, it does but help. there was always that like irregular wave that would screw you up. Yeah. <laughs> like you think you're like, okay, I got the rhythm of this. Oh, nope. Here's the extra one. It just, but yeah, that, that's, that was kind of my, ad hoc uh adaptation to dealing with being in a wavy environment was just what what's the rhythm of the current coming in and and go with that it's a good one though because that's like if you is it doesn't matter how big the waves are if you time your breathing right because they right. do have just trying to of... feel like when do you start going down breathe then instead of like when you're going up and the waves about to go over you yeah and it's funny though because a lot of times when you swim in the channel you know it can feel quite wavy and then half the time you can actually stand up because it's low tide yeah so you're like struggling you're like feel like they're in this really big epic thing you're like oh they could make a movie about me and then you stop <laughs> and you stand up and it's up to your waist and you're like okay that's just sad <laughs> yeah you know so one of the things so there's actually a triathlon group I swim with around here. There, there's a guy, and he's like the most positive human I think that's ever been created. And he's got, runs this triathlon group, and all he, he does it off his own back. So, he, like, you have to pay him a sub of like a pound, and he'll take us all out over when they're swimming. And then he sets up this big like table of coffee and snacks after everybody's finished. And he's like this super encouraging human being, but he also has a little GoPro camera. Mm-hmm. So he's taking these incredible pictures of me swimming that look like I'm, you know, out 
in the middle of, you know, some kind of big storm. <laughs> actually, all my friends are like, whoa, you're in beast mode. I'm like, actually, you can stand up. <laughs> That's okay, I'll take it. It's like, yeah, look at me. I'm swimming the channel. <laughs> you know three feet from shore that's the that's the secrets you just you just keep to yourself you're like yep that's <laughs> it was pretty epic like <laughs> it's yeah i know it's like my my when i used to be a bike mechanic a long time ago by a bicycle mechanic there's this guy that uh was uh, he was we were in a criterion you know what a crit race yeah. is right where they're running out and so they um <laughs> this guy got dropped out the back and with his friends he was like okay get your cameras ready and he was like he waited for him to lap him and then he just poured a bottle of water over his head went across the line with his arms up and of course he was getting lapped and all these guys that were actually racing were like who the hell's that guy it's fantastic it's a good that, picture though yeah that reminds me of my friend michael who ran with me in college and he was probably our slowest guy um not that he was slow, but just of the, of our college guys. And he's got this picture of him from high school where he had, when the race started, he had just dead sprinted out as hard as he could. He'd made a gap of maybe 50 meters between him and the rest of the field. So there's a photo of him just like leading this massive group of very talented runners. And he's always just like, I won. I won right there. And that was that. And that's his story of that race. He's like, look, I won. And he, he will fantastic. not deviate from that story. He's like, the photo tells the entire story. So I love it. That's one of those I things. love it. Yeah. Well, that's it. You have to be, you have to make sure that you uh, <laughs> don't take yourself too seriously. I think. <laughs> right. Because there's a lot of people that do, you know, I mean, you can't be too serious about it. You know, I mean, this is one thing that I think is quite interesting. It's a difference is I remember like, when I was younger and trying to run or be in a pool and there would be some slow person that gets in front of you and that used to drive, drive me nuts. And, mm -hmm. and now I think, okay, if somebody gets really frustrated trying to run past me, if I'm walking, I think, come on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're running like I am in the middle of the city on lockdown. It is not like this, this two seconds is not going to, you know, right. It's mess not up your make training plan. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, this is not. not your hope of the Olympics dashed. <laughs> no, if you're gonna make it, right. it's probably not gonna. It's probably not gonna do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, Sylvia's, we're starting to wind down on time. Uh, I'm yeah. asking everybody a question this year that kind of spans disciplines, uh, both career and sports-wise. So I'd like to know your opinion on what you think the purpose of sport is. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Drop a bombs right at the end of the episode. It's, uh, that's a, that is a really general question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So for individuals, I mean, I think it is something that brings people together, mm -hmm. right? Almost everybody likes some kind of sport, even if they don't admit it. <laughs> you know, even if they're like, well, I don't watch sports or whatever. And, um, but what I will say is that team sports are being with a team. So I, there's a guy that I knew that worked in a big company and they, they were trying to go back and look this. I am answering your question. I promise. Um, they were trying to look back through what made people successful as entrepreneurs. And they came up with two things. Do you know what those two things are? One was having participated in some kind of a team sport or a sport 
where you kind of lived or died together, right? Mm -hmm. So there was some kind of live or die together. And the other one is kind of irrelevant, but it was whether or not you've worked in a really crappy job. Hmm. <laughs> because people that know have worked in really bad jobs are quite driven. And if you have some participation with sports, you tend to do quite well. So I think it's good for community, but I also think it's going to keep us all from, we have a really bad problem in the US and started in the UK with obesity. And yeah. I do think people doing some sport, even if it's just walk around the block, anybody can do that. Yeah, five times a day. I think it's really important for the future of our health. So yeah. there we go. That's my answer. No, this is a good answer. I think we. I, I I'm fortunate to live in a neighborhood. There's people all over the place. Like I'm gonna go run after we get off here, and um, I I see people go by the house all the time. But I also know in in the city at large, we're known for barbecue, which ends lends itself to obesity. Um, I, I just feel like. I wish there was a better, there's such a big infrastructure for youth sports, sports, while yeah. kids in school, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like the culture kind of drops off as you become an adult. There's still, for me, as, yeah, a, especially as a runner, your age. you know, plenty of things I can do, but like, you know, people who played football or played volleyball or played soccer or, play, you know, like all these team sports, you're on your own. Like we, we don't do yeah, that anymore. That's true. So unless you're no, a pro. It's true. Actually, they could do that. that. That would be a good thing. That's how we can solve the world, right? So when you get a lot older, there's stuff for older people, like going back to right. the gym and doing whatever that is. I mean, like, you know, even older than me, like 60s, 70s. Yeah. But like, you're, you're right. Like people in their 30s, 20s to sort of 50, there's nothing. Right. I mean, swimming, this is good for swimming because swimming usually has master's things. Right, anywhere, you can do but... masters. And it's like the individual sports you can do, but it's, it seems yeah. very difficult to put together a team for anything. And I don't know if yeah, that's... Which you should do. I mean, I think that would be something that, you know, if you could get people to do it. But people, I mean, this is the other thing is that one of the reasons why I quit Oxford as well is that, you know, you can get so wrapped up in your busy life mm -hmm. <laughs> that your busy life is just becomes everything. And I think, you know, at some point, sport's really important because, you know, what are you doing to enjoy your life? And, you yeah. know... You know, if you actually in running sucks if you don't do it all the time. I mean, like if you yeah. don't do, if you go out and try to run once every couple of months, you're like this. It's horrible. Yeah. But then there's that point after a month. It's what I tell my friends when they start. They're like, I hate it. I'm like, you got to give it a month because yep. then you get that feeling. Like you know, I mean, the hardest thing I think I ever did running was the first time I went over five miles. That's a big barrier. Mm -hmm. I mean, breaking five miles is hard, right? It's hard the first time you ever do it, right? Mm -hmm. And but, you know, you do get that euphoria feeling. You just kind of feel better about the world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can be having a really bad day and go swim in the sea and I feel better. Yeah. yeah. You know, anyway. Right, that's your sort of uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> that's we'll end on that note. Sylvia. That's the um, Hallmark card, but all right, thank you. Yeah, no, if, so if people want to see what you're up to on Twitter, see what you're researching, that kind of stuff, if you get back into research or see the – previous research you've done where, where can yeah, people you find you yeah you feel guilty no so you're I fine start blogging again <laughs> guilty about blogging yeah uh, uh where where can people see what you're up to uh twitter my twitter account and i'm also on instagram um uh not that that's just pictures of my house and swimming in the sea to be honest i've lots of sweet sea swimming pictures well so friends. if you like that then it's dude check out Sylvia's Twitter account, which I think we'll put in the description. And then if you're on YouTube, it's probably on the screen at this point. So, 
Um, so okay. You, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy <laughs> you your too. run. Yeah. Okay, bye.